Well, good morning. Joyfully obedient. Wow, that's a nice thought today, isn't it? I wish I could get the people in my house to be joyfully obedient. We're working on that. Well, good morning. My name is Brock Ashley. Thankful to be here with you as I fill in and pinch hit for Pastor Mike this morning. He'll be back next week after uh, some vacation time, so uh, not to worry. If today's not any good, next week will probably be way better. So you've got that to look forward to. But today, where we're going to find ourselves as we depart from the book of Romans for a week is we are going to be digging into the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. And this will be a portion of Scripture that will actually be familiar to most of you as this uh, is the Ten Commandments. So as we think about the commandments, though, before we get to our base Scripture this morning, uh, it really brings a question about for us as New Testament Christians. We think about the Old Testament and all the rules there, and we wonder, how does this apply to our lives? How do we address the Ten Commandments or all the commandments? Uh, there's 613, actually, in the Old Testament. How, how do we follow along with this while at the same time we know we live in this age of liberty? We have liberty in our salvation. But we don't want to be too legalistic. We don't want to be too liberal. So where does that put us when it comes to these things? So let's begin this morning, actually, in 1 John chapter 5. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, this is what the Apostle John penned. He said, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So the love of God will actually play out in our life as we follow the commandments of God, and it won't look like work. It won't be burdensome for us. So as we think about how do we take in these Ten Commandments and what does that look like, we'll understand that what it really shows is it's a heart check for us. It's actually showing what's going on with us internally. If you think about this in terms of your children, if they're struggling with being obedient to your rules, it doesn't change your feelings towards them. Well, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does. It, we may like them a little bit more if they actually listen to what we have to say, but we don't love them any less but we're really speaking these things into their life for their own good. But what it also tells us if they're not being obedient is there's something going on internally. There's something more behind the scenes that's taking place that we need to uncover. And that's really what we see as we struggle with certain commandments or certain things in our life. It's really revealing something even deeper that's going on, right? There's a reason that these things are hard for us to do, and maybe that's a spot we need to work on. And as it relates to the New Testament and to the commandments, Jesus was actually approached in Matthew chapter 22. And what he was asked by a young Jewish lawyer actually approached him and said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered him back and told him, The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added, on these two things hang all the law and all the prophets. So all this Old Testament that we have here before us, all of that hangs on these two simple concepts, to love God and to love people. And we know how we're doing in these two areas if we look at how hard or easy it is to follow the commandments of God in our own life. So today, we're going to be looking specifically at the fourth commandment, and that commandment deals with the Sabbath. So turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to pick up in verse 8, and we're going to read down through verse 11. And it says, beginning in verse 8, remember the Sabbath 
to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. And I think it's one other thing I wanted to point out as we talk about the commandments. What these also reveal to us is the heart of our Heavenly Father. Right, that his desire for these for us to follow along is really because he's he is concerned and cares for us. I heard a Bible commentator call them the tender commandments. Right? It reveals the tender heart of our Father. But in this one in particular, what he's telling us to do is take a break. Take a day off. Rest a little bit. Now who among you wouldn't love it if your boss came to you at work and said, You know what I need you to do for me today? I need you to take a day off. Not only that, but I need you to take a day off paid, and even better, I'm going to do your entire job for you. I'm going to take care of all those emails you're always worried about piling up. I'm going to take care of all the filing you've got to do. I'm going to answer and return phone calls. I'm going to take care of all the things that you hate about taking a day off, because when you come back, it's just a mess when I come back, right? That's what the Lord is saying here. Take a day off and trust me to take care of everything. Now, for some of you, that is exciting news, right? Taking a day off sounds great. But for others, if we really want to be honest, we don't like the idea of our boss taking over for a day because we're not sure how he or she is going to do at answering our phone. We're not sure if they're going to answer emails the way we want them to answer. And you know what? They're probably not going to file things in the place we like them filed. So you know what? I don't think I can give you a day off. I don't think I can take a day off and allow you to take over for me. And that's a lot of the way we respond to the Lord, right? We don't trust him. We, we think of him more like Lumberg here in the photo in office space, that this guy is going to mess everything up for me when I get back. And that's how we treat it. So the question is, how do we respond to this command to take it easy, to take a day off? Do we, in fact, take it easy? And obviously, I ripped this message title off from a 1972 Eagle song, you know, in researching this, something interesting is a sidebar. I found that the Eagles, in fact, uh, did a horrible job of taking it easy. That from 1971 until 1980, they toured nonstop. They recorded nonstop. They actually recorded four straight number one albums. And uh, this picture in the top right is actually what they would call the circle of fear. They would gather together before each concert, before they would go out on stage, and they would sing a cappella together while they faced each other. So that if any one of them, regardless of the night they had the night before, wasn't bringing their A-game, shame and persecution was brought upon them by Don Henley and Glenn Fry. You did not want to mess with those guys. So they wrote this rock country anthem, whatever music genre you want to put it in, but they did not adhere to it whatsoever. So how do we do? Do we adhere to this command of the Lord to take it easy? Well, I think there are four ways that we want to talk about this morning. There are probably a lot others, but you don't want to sit here that long, and I'm probably not smart enough to come up with any more than four. So let's start with how we respond. We, first of all, we deplore it. We deplore the idea of rest. We hate it. Now, to back up a little bit, understand that the nation of Israel, at this time, they've been pulled out of Egypt. They've been brought out, delivered by God, and for 400 years, they had been enslaved. They had not had a day off for 400 years. They had worked increasingly harder and harder with each Pharaoh that took over. 
And so for God to command them to take a day off was actually uh, groundbreaking. To us, it's not that groundbreaking to take a day off, but to them, this had never been done. And the same thing is true for the nations around them. If you were the working class, you worked. If you were a slave, you worked. And if you were rich, you paid people to do your work for you, day in and day out. And that's the case with them. So really, this Sabbath would set them apart. It would sanctify them and make them very different from the cultures around them. And they would be made fun of by these other cultures. They would be uh, jeered and and laughed at. Even in Jesus' time, the Romans would make fun of the Jews because of their respect they would pay the Sabbath. But today, because we are so much more cultural and we're advanced, you know, we don't hate the idea of rest the way they hated the idea of rest, we don't have this problem. Or do we? So if we look at the Japanese culture, for example, this is a culture that is built on capitalism in every way imaginable. They are all about the work and production and what can I do today. So this first young lady named Miwa Sado, she worked for the largest broadcasting company in Tokyo. And after month upon month of logging uh, triple-digit overtime hours, 100-plus hours of overtime month after month, in July of 2013, at the age of 31, she died of cardiac arrest. So upon investigation and autopsy, what they found is she didn't have a drug problem. There wasn't anything there other than she died of exhaustion. She actually worked herself to death. And this is the culture that they have over there. This next young lady, Matsuri Kadashi, she worked for an, a large advertising firm, one of the largest in all of Japan. And she, like uh, the first case study, worked tirelessly, logging in triple-digit overtime hours month after month. And in fact, in the month of uh, March of 2015, she booked 159 hours of overtime. That's just overtime hours, all right? So she worked an entire extra month in the month, just of overtime, when in April of 2015, she took her own life. So we applaud, and and we think these these people are so hardworking, it's so tremendous, but upon investigation, what they found is this 24-year-old in December of 2014 posted this on social media, I am physically and mentally shattered. We were not meant to work like that. We were not meant to work ceaselessly, time and time again and log in all the overtime hours. Now I want to make it an important point here as we talk about work. Let's not vilify work in itself. That work, if you turn back to Genesis chapter 2 and you look at verse 15, work actually existed even before sin existed. So work is not a part of the curse. That in fact in Genesis 2.15 what God says to Adam is, then God, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So there we see the word tend, which is actually the Hebrew word abad. You could translate that to mean work. Adam was actually put in the Garden of Eden to work and to watch over the garden. And it's not until Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, until after the fall, that we see this, this with the curse that cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So after sin, work went from a place of rest and a place of understanding that God is doing all the work and I'm just tending things, I'm watching over things, to now I've got to work for it. I've got to sweat a little bit. 
But you see, even in that, the reason God is commanding a Sabbath here is because with all judgments, if you go throughout the Bible and you see judgment being placed on people, understand that there is a thread of mercy in every single one of God's judgments. And that's the case with the Sabbath here. That this is an example of God showing us mercy even as he's passing judgment. But the point of all that is to understand that even in heaven, even in paradise, you know you're still going to have a job to do. Jesus has got something perfect prepared for you to do. Something for you to watch after. Now for a lot of you, that's actually something you're looking forward to. Because the idea of heaven or rest and not having anything to do is kind of terrifying. Like, I'm going to get bored up there. There's surely got to be something for me to look after. Good news, that in heaven, there will be the perfect work-life balance. Because it's going to be work from a place of rest, not a place of toil. All right, so as we think about work-life balance, and we know that we don't deplore rest, what do we do? Perhaps you fall in this category, we ignore rest. That you're one of these people that say, in theory, the Sabbath is a great idea, dot, 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 but... I've got a to-do list, like this upper left-hand corner. Today, I've got my to-do list, and then I've got my to-do list from yesterday to do, and then I've got to rewrite my to-do list from last week. I've got all these things to do. I'd love to rest. I'd love to take a break, but you don't understand, Lord. I'm busy. I'm like the cat up there. Busy! So, or, or we've got these excuses that we throw in. I've got bills to pay. I've got bread to put on the table, Right? So let's turn to Exodus chapter 16, just a few pages back from our home scripture, and let's look at other people that had bread to put on the table. Again, this is the nation as God is providing bread from heaven, manna, for the nation of Israel. And what God says here to them is he says, I'm going to provide you bread for six days from heaven. You don't have to work for it. All you've got to do is go out there and pick it up off the ground. And on the sixth day, gather a double portion and then take tomorrow off. But there were some people in the camp that said, you know what, that all sounds fine and good, but I don't need a day off. Like, I really don't need the rest. Besides, I see an opportunity here. I can get ahead just a little bit. Maybe I can work off some time into next week, or maybe I can build up a little bit for me and my house. So in Exodus chapter 16, verse 27, this is what, We read, And now it happened that some of the people went out and on the seventh day together, but they found none. So here's what we can take from that spiritually. If we are determined to not rest, because let's say you're a go-getter. You're one that just likes to go after it. I don't need rest. I don't need a break. I'm tougher than the rest. At the end, you will find none. That it may play out physically for you. You may actually be able to gain great wealth. There may be uh, popularity. There may be power you gain. But at the end of the day, what you're going to be left with is what is written about in Psalm 106, verse 15. You will have a leanness to your soul. Now, at the age of 25, I was promoted at a small construction company I worked at to vice president. And as I was in that position, most of the people that worked there were at least one and a half, if not two times my age. So I got the title behind my back of the golden boy. So the golden boy's job was to go out and get as much work as we possibly could and then make sure that it all got done. So if you fast forward eight years later, using that title as a chip on my shoulder and being determined to outwork every single one of the people that wanted to talk about me behind my back, 
the company was then the largest in central Illinois. Some $80 million a year in sales from a company that was an eighth of that eight years earlier. But what had also happened is I had managed to sacrifice my entire family in the process. Working, working. I didn't need rest. I was a go-getter. I'm going to build this thing. I'm going to build this. I'm going to provide. I'm going to put bread on the table. And that's exactly what I did. But the problem was a leanness, a fractured marriage, kids that didn't even know who I was because I wasn't around, you see. So this is really what this scripture is talking about. So a question you can ask yourself is this, why then did God not ignore it? Why did God institute a day off? Was it because he was pooped? Was it because he just wore himself out with all that creation? Like, man, those whales really took it out of me. You know, I wouldn't be tired if it wasn't for those monkeys. Have you seen how crazy they are? Oh, I'm so tired. You know what I need is a nap. I could just use a day off. Or maybe God was out of ideas. Maybe at day six, he's like, you know what? I got, I got nothing. I, you know, I, I think we should just, we should just sleep because I got nothing for you. No, that's ludicrous, right? That in fact, that the God we serve, the God of the universe, could have continued to create on the seventh day and the 70th day, and the 700th day. He could have kept creating, and creating, and creating, and guess what we'd have in this world? We'd look like this guy on the bike at the bottom right-hand corner. We would be so crammed full of stuff, and, and things, and animals, and weird creations, that we wouldn't even be able to move in this world. Do you see? And But this is what we do to ourselves by ignoring the command to rest. We add Things and things and boats and cars and houses and more stuff and stuff until eventually we have to work our tail off just to pay for the stuff so we can get more stuff, right? So we ignore his command to rest. And the question is, when is enough enough? So you're probably way past this. So this is, this is not for you either. You don't deplore rest. You don't ignore rest. This was, that was probably all for me right there. But maybe... You're the type that you want to explore it. Maybe you're going to leave here today and you're going to say, you know what, this is a great idea and I tell you what, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to take the next couple of weeks and I'm just going to pray over that. I'm going to look into the idea of rest. Maybe I'll even do that someday. Well, let me ask you this question. Do we do this with any other commandment? Imagine if up here on the Mike Harrison Memorial Swivel Stool, if I said to you, you know what, I'm going down the list here, and commandment number six, you shall not murder. I think that's a great idea. I'm going to explore that. I'm just going to look into, you know what, the paper boy is aggravating me. He keeps throwing my paper out in the yard, not on the porch. I'm going to try not to strangle him to death this week. Or you know what, that neighbor over there, his dog keeps pooping in my yard. And I'm going to try not to cut him up into pieces and bury him underneath the porch this week. I'm not guaranteeing that I'm going to do it, but I'm sure going to explore the idea. That's crazy, right? Or, or even better yet, guys, go home today and tell your wives, listen, you know what, honey, I've been looking at this list, and number seven there, I'm going to explore that. This says, you shall not commit adultery. And the neighbor lady, she's been checking me out, mowing the yard. She's been checking out the gun show. Look at this. But you know what? I'm going to resist, and I am going to, I'm going to do my very best. I can't promise you. I'm not going to accidentally sleep with her. But you know what? I'm going to do my best to adhere to this commandment. 
you know, she'd be so proud of me, she'd probably have to go, you know what, and I'm going to try not to murder you. What do you think of that? So that, that is absurd, right? And yet we handle this fourth commandment like that. These aren't the, the ten suggestions. These are the ten commandments. So I want to share with you the story of Eric Little. And some of you will probably know this story. But in 1924, he was Great Britain's best hope for a gold medal in the 100-meter dash. In fact, he had the term, or the, the name, he wasn't the golden boy, he was the Flying Scotsman because he was so fast in the 100-meter dash. That nobody could beat Eric Little. He was also a Christian. He was born to Christian missionaries. He was actually born in China. So in 1924, much to his dismay as he was preparing himself for the Olympic Games to be held in Paris that year, he got the uh, series of events and the time schedules to find out that the heats for the 100-meter dash were going to be ran on Sunday. So Eric Little, being a man of faith and also a man of conviction and not willing to just explore the idea of how he felt about his Sabbath, went to his coach and he went to the Olympic Committee and he said, you know what, I'm out of the 100 meters. Not going to run. So, boy, you talk about a nation that had scrambled. I mean, he was one of the most popular athletes, if not the most popular athlete in the entire country at this point. It was in the newspaper of what he, what he was doing. So instead, uh, as the coaches scrambled, they enrolled him or signed him up for the 400-meter dash. Now, Little had had no training at the 400 and only a couple weeks to get prepared. And if you've ever ran track and field, let me tell you, there is a huge difference from the 100 to the 400. I know that's like the most obvious thing ever, but if you try to run a 400 like you would a 100, you would die. And yet, here's Little in the 400 meters. So on a Thursday, as he's preparing himself for the final in the event in the 1924 Olympics, one of the other competitors from another country handed him a piece of paper, and it said this, the old book says, those who honor me, I will honor, which is an excerpt from 1 Samuel 2.30. So on that day, Eric Little went out and he won the Olympic gold medal in the 400-meter dash in 1924. Pretty fascinating, right? For a guy that refused to just explore the idea of the Sabbath, he was determined to honor the Lord. Now, later on in Little's life, he continued. His story didn't stop there. And in fact, he went back to China to become a missionary where he served and he brought people to Christ. And in 1945, he died in a Chinese internment camp, but still sticking with his values day in and day out, determined to do what the Lord said. I can't wait to someday get to meet him in heaven. And if you want to see his story, you might remember that from the movie Chariots of Fire. So there you go. There's a family movie night for your Sabbath. You're welcome. It's better than Siskel and Ebert this morning. So you didn't know you were going to get movie advice. It's fantastic. All right, so if we don't ignore it and we don't deplore it and we don't want to just explore it because I spent five minutes making fun of the idea, maybe you're in this camp that you adore the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus dealt with a group of people named the Pharisees that did just that. They adored the Sabbath. And as he and his disciples are walking through the fields uh, picking off heads of grain and, and snacking on them on the Sabbath day as they walked, the Pharisees popped out of the, out of the fields, and in verse 24 they asked, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Pointing a finger at Jesus and his friends as they were walking. 
And Jesus' response to them was, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. So the point of this is to understand that the Sabbath is not about a day. If you leave here today, get, get nothing, getting nothing else from it, get this. The Sabbath is not about a day. The Sabbath is about the Lord of the day. Right? That's who we want to honor. If you wanted just a little bit of research to do when you go home, Google how many times the calendar has changed throughout human history. And what you're going to be amazed to find is that it has changed a boatload of times. In fact, it's very possible that we are all sitting here right now on Tuesday. I have no idea. Like, after looking at it, we may be Thursday morning, we're in here, and we think it's Sunday. So to get all excited that Sabbath has to be on a certain day we can't even track our own calendar to even know what day the Sabbath was from not. The importance is to, to look at the man instead of the shadow of the man. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 as Paul addresses this. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2, picking up in verse 16. What he says here is, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So with each of these things, with new moons, with festivals, and the Jews had a lot of festivals, each one of those pointed back to Jesus. The same thing is true for the Sabbath. It's pointing back to the rest that he will someday provide for us completely and wholly as we rest in his promise. You see, that's what Hebrews chapter 4 covers, is that we'll be able to rest in his works instead of resting on our works. But it's all a shadow. And as we think about this, we don't want to honor the shadow. What if I go home today, as an example, and I, and I get home and I get out of my vehicle and I'm going through the house and the kids all run out and my wife runs out and they tell me how great I am and how awesome I am and I'm so good looking and best dad ever and I probably took it too far there. But... <laughs> And instead of jumping on me to give me a hug and dogpile me, they jump on my shadow on the ground. That would be a little weird, right? I'd be standing over here going, listen, guys, it's great that you love me so much. I am all those things you talked about, but I'm over here, right? You missed the man. You missed me. You're honoring my shadow. And that's what we do by adoring the Sabbath. We actually are honoring the shadow, not the Lord. That is the reason for the shadow. So with all this being said, what then must we do with the Sabbath? What can we unpack from this? Well, I'll leave you with this. We don't want to deplore it. We don't want to ignore it. We don't want to merely explore it. We don't want to adore it. That what we need to do as leaders of our households, as leaders in our communities, is we need to restore it. What God is actually asking for here to start with. Let's just understand. He's asking for one day in seven. He's not asking for six out of seven or seven out of seven. He's asking for one in seven to be set aside to be different. And what that proves to us is it proves that it's his strength that we operate, not our own. It's a lot like tithing. You know, we can't, uh, we can't imagine sometimes how we could live off 90%, where God's really only asking for a fraction of what he's allowed us to have. And so you'll hear this a lot. I can't afford to tithe. Well, you know what? I've said that before too until you read Malachi 3.10. And what that says is, try me on this. 
This is coming from the Lord. And bring in the tithes and offerings and see if I won't pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. He actually says, I'll open the windows of heaven to pour out on a blessing, a blessing that you can't contain. Imagine that. I don't know about you, but I'd love a blessing like that. I'll take that every day. And yet we struggle with both this and with giving a day to the Lord. And probably, truth be told, most of us have a little bit easier time giving our money than we do our time. Because I can make more money, I can't make any more time. But what they both point to is what are we going to put our faith in? Where are we going to rest our faith in? In ourselves? Are we going to rest it in the Lord? So turn with me one last place. Isaiah chapter 30. And as you make your way back to the 30th chapter of Isaiah, at this point in time for the nation of Judah, where they are at as a country, is this is Hezekiah's reign, and they have got the Assyrian army now bearing down upon them. Now as the Assyrians are coming down, uh, remember with me that the nation of Israel has just been taken captive years earlier by these same Assyrians. So they've seen their brothers to the north been taken away and taken captive. And these Assyrians are bad dudes, right? These are the type of people that skin you alive and then they make furniture out of your skin. They put fish hooks in your mouth and lead their captives away. These are not folks you want to mess with. So these Assyrians are coming down upon them. And Hezekiah's council, his people closest to him, come to him and say, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to get together with the Egyptians to fight off these Assyrians. You know, we don't like the Egyptians very much, but one thing we have in common is we both hate us some Assyrians. So let's join forces with them. It makes a lot of sense politically, right? Let's align with them. But let's see what God has to say about this in the first two verses of this chapter. He begins by saying, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, and who devise plans but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin, who walk down to Egypt and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, to trust in the shadow of Egypt. So what God's saying here is, listen, you've gone out and sought counsel, but you forgot one thing. You forgot to ask what I thought. You never bothered to ask me what I thought about it. Instead, you turned to Egypt which if you study through the Bible, you'll see that Egypt is always a picture of the world. You've gone back and asked the world for help. You didn't bother to ask me for help. So then if we move ahead to verse 15, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. That word returning you could also substitute the word repentance for. It's the same root word in Hebrew. In repentance and rest are the ways you're going to be saved. Not by joining in with the Egyptians, not by joining forces with the world, but instead by coming to me. And then in quietness and confidence, this is the place you're going to find your strength. How many of you feel like the Assyrians are coming down upon you today? Anybody else? Am I the only one that feels like the Assyrians are like right there? <laughs> They're going to skin me alive. Sometimes they look like my kids. Like at any minute, there's going to be a kid try to skin me alive. The world feels like that, right? And yet, how do we counteract this? Where do we go to for counsel? Where do we turn? Look with me one more spot in verse 21. 
Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So here's the promise. In quietness, in rest, you will hear from the Lord. And that voice will tell you, go this way, go that way. Turn to the right hand, turn to the left hand. How many of us wonder, like, where is God? Where is he going to speak to me? And, and yet what we do is we try to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give God a little bit of quality time. That's what he needs with me. I've got about 15 minutes here between uh, phone calls. And Lord, here's what you get. You get a little bit of quality time. Speak to me, Lord. Let me know what you have for me. Okay, time's up. You didn't have a whole lot to say, so I'm going to move on. I'm going to go with the world. And yet, this farce of quality time is what we give him. And what he's actually asking for as we look at these commandments, he's looking for quantity time, not quality time. Now, this is convicting uh, both for us as we spend time with the Lord, but it's also convicting for me as a dad. Because I think about how often I've tried to spend quality time with my kids. Quality time. Hey, Junior, let's talk. Let's sit down. I've got 10 minutes. How was your day? Good. How's that girl you've been seeing? She, uh, she's fine. How's your math homework? You caught up on math? It's okay. And that's the answers we get, right? That's the kind of responses we get all right, well, looks like time's up. Great talk, son. You know, we don't give them the quantity. Instead, we try to force them into a spot. So as we think about Sabbathing and we think about resting, I'm here to admit to you this is very difficult for me because I have it in my DNA to work. I'm an ignore-it guy. I will work right through it, and I will grind, and I will work myself into the ground. I don't want to stop. I don't want to take a break. And yet, I'm scared for my children. I worry about who's going to speak into their ear. Is it going to be me advising them to the right or to the left? Go this way, go that, or is it going to be their friends? So if I'm not willing to take a day and to take time just to be around, I don't know that I I have to hang out with them nonstop, but if I'm just there and they know they have open access to me, maybe that's the answer. Because the same thing is true with my Father in heaven. He's there for me, open access when I'm ready to give him some real one-on-one time. But without the quantity, we're not going to get it. So I don't know what Sabbathing can look like for you. I know that it's important. I know that it's good. I know that we need it. Maybe it looks like going on a walk with the kids. Maybe it looks like playing out in the backyard If you've got six children, it probably doesn't mean a nap. You know, growing up in the First Baptist Church, it meant dad is napping, don't bother him. I don't know that that's going to happen for me anytime soon. But you know what it does mean is that I need to be open to it. I need to be open, and my day needs to look different. It needs to be focused on Jesus and not focused on production, productivity. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to get to share. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that uh, Mike Harrison sneaks away and goes on vacation and gets me a chance to get up here and and talk about the things you put on my heart, Father. I don't don't have the answers. I don't have the answers in my own life, I'll confess, Lord. But I know this. I know that when I do it under my own strength, I am worn out. And yet when I do it, 
in your strength, I think I'm going to be worn out, but somehow there's always more there, Father. I praise you for that. And I pray, Lord, there are a lot of people in this room that are tired today. They're worn out, they're wiped out, and they don't know where to turn to the right or to the left. So my prayer, Father, for them is that in quietness, in rest, in repentance, they'll find strength and confidence in you. Lord, if there's someone that doesn't know the rest of your salvation, please, Father, speak to their hearts right now. And I ask all this today in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.